Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Munoz, CEO of the experience agency, D-Flash. Each week, I bring on a different business leader from a unique industry, and we talk about how they've gotten there, what they did, and all the trials and tribulations of being a business leader. Uh, this is a very special series of episodes with Podcast Row, and our first interview is going to be with the amazing Michelle Aspinwall, who is a coach, skin career creator, and author. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, take a listen. Hi, Michelle. Hi. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's always, and I'm sure you listen to the show, so you know the deal. The very first question is always the same, and I'm always fascinated about the answers that people give, and I'm sure yours will be no different. So, Michelle, what was your first job? My first job was at the Proud Rooster. I was frying chicken. In Kentucky. <laughs> awesome. You know, I feel like you're not the first person to have had a chicken frying experience, but I'm sure. how old were you? I was 17. Oh, and what made you decide to have all the jobs you could have gotten in Kentucky? <laughs> chicken frying was the thing. Honestly, it was convenient to my childhood schedule. I was pretty scheduled in uh, ballet field hockey, swimming. So it was the job I could do with the allotted time that I had. <laughs> so you were overscheduled. I even, was. Uh, even as a child. Even and, as a child. And you're like, uh, no, actually I need money, so I wanted to do uh, chicken frying. And so when you got to this got this job, what did you learn? What was it? Like either you'll never again go anywhere near fried chicken or I love it forever or somewhere in between. Honestly, it was uh, ketchup. Like I to this day, I cannot smell or eat <laughs> ketchup because I had to fill the ketchup containers every night at the end. I was traumatized by the ketchup containers. That's unfortunate. Do you like French fries? I love French fries. So so, so everything but French. So everything but ketchup. You'll have French fries with mayonnaise. Uh, yeah, you see, I'm not. <laughs> As someone who is a as a French fry connoisseur, um, the idea of mayonnaise is not really a thing. Now, a mustard aioli. Okay, oh, I'm down with that. That, that, that I'm, I'm good. down with that. But like yeah. mayo, just <laughs> it's so pedestrian. Oh. Like it's like uh, uh, you know what the thing. But okay, if you'll have an aioli, we're, we're gonna be good here. Um, so uh, I'd love to hear how you got to be sitting next to me today in New York City. Well, I live in New York City, so that makes that side of it easy. Subway was your friend. The subway, well, actually, I walked. I, I just live a couple blocks up the street. <laughs> like you even mean. easier. Even okay. easier. But uh, really, I just wanted to surround myself in. Uh, with a, a group of women who are all doing the same, the same type of thing. I mean, definitely entrepreneurship can be a lonely game on some days, you know, when you're just kind of plugging away. So when I have the opportunity to surround myself with a group of women who are crushing it and putting the word out there, I jump at the chance. Awesome. So you're, so you're in Kentucky, frying chicken at 17 <laughs> years old. Um, What's your journey to starting your career and having these three really awesome but highly successful careers? So this is not career number one. This is career probably three. Um, I was a set and costume designer before this. Awesome. Yes. had I loved it. It was an incredible uh, journey. And then became pregnant with my first son. Was also offered my first really big show that I had to turn down because I literally would have been 
delivering the baby in tech during the tech rehearsals, which is kind not of good. a big deal. No, yeah. not good. No, no. Actors really, really need their costume designer during tech. Um, so that led me to uh, a few health challenges. I had a few health challenges during my pregnancy and, and during labor. And really the journey kind of started there with health, wellness, and really trying to reconnect with my body. So from that process, so I had one son, then I had another son, and the second son is, I mean, in great shape now, but was definitely his first year of life was a challenge for him. So really me helping him and really navigate the medical system, which is in this country... Um, a nightmare. Tricky at best. Yes, nightmare. I was trying to be a little bit more No, dramatic. don't be. <laughs> like, let's be real. I, I mean... It is. I always make the joke about how wacky and weird American healthcare is by using my own experience. So I was born in England, and um, I came here when I was three years old. I know, no discernible accent. Everyone gets confused. Um, kids are terrible, so I lost my accent when I was little. Uh, but on my first night in America... Um, after we'd flown in and a long flight with the whole family and I was a hyperactive three-year-old, you'll probably appreciate it as a mom, what do little three-year-olds do? Run around all the time I and bounce off of stuff because that's what you do. My grandmother had a really long uh, coffee table that was glass and I took a header into it. Uh, oh, dear. And didn't feel it because, again, small child. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no biggie. And my mom, like, hears a bang and sees I have a huge cut and it's like, where's the American hospital go to? So we go, I get stitches um, and my mom is like, this is insane because in England, this is not how healthcare works. And then they get a bill for $10,000. Oh my gosh. That's a mighty bill. And it's like, it was for four stitches. And, and And I'm like, and my mom was like, we should just go back. Because there's no way this healthcare system is going to be ever be useful, and that was thirty plus years ago. Nothing's changed. No, nothing's changed. No. In fact, now you've got a myriad of doctors who the system is failing them, and so they have to break away from the system and no longer accept health insurance enabled to be able to help their patients. And. Uh, that puts a lot of people in a lot of stress with a lot of bills. And then for others who can't afford it, then you have to find the right doctor. And that in and of itself is a journey. Is a journey. Absolutely. Um, so I guess carrying on, I, I don't want to make my story too long, but uh, I navigated my own health crisis as well as helping my younger son through the first year of a very difficult life. Um, and through that, really understood the power of food. And I know every, this is everyone knows this. Everyone's talking about it. Dr. Hyman's talking about it. every. There's there's some really cutting edge savvy doctors out there on the interwebs, and th- you know, thank goodness for them. They're doing the work of uh, kings, in my opinion. But then we all have to find our way through the system. And I think um, for me, helping women understand. The middle years, so 40 to 50, has become sort of my passion. Um, We're calling it now perimenopause. Hmm. There's nothing sexy about that word. I mean, can I tell you? It just sounds. Nor is there menopause. There's nothing sexy about that word. And no one really wants to talk about it. And the reality is, menopause is one day, right? It's that day, it's the party day where you haven't had a period for 12 months. But menopause is where it all kind of goes to pot. I mean, if you wanna just 
kind of put it out there. And so I think this country in particular, women suffer during this transition way more than women do in other more traditional cultures. And that's the tricky thing. And that's the thing that sort of, um, it wears heavy on my heart. And it's where, it's really where my story began. So I started, I had my sort of unraveling at 42. Wow. And I say unraveling on purpose because everyone calls it like a midlife crisis. But when you say crisis, I mean, crisis is easy. If you just have a crisis, then you just kind of you know, you define what the crisis is. And you get through it. And you find a couple of bullet points, and then you target those bullet points, and then boom, you get through it. But in, in unraveling, and I mean, it took me a while to come to this word, right? Like, coming up with our words is tricky. Um, it wasn't a depressive unraveling, and it wasn't a psychiatric unraveling. It was really like a spiritual unraveling. All the things that I could hold on to, all the things that were constant, all the elements of my life that were... Um, that brought me great joy and that I was quite proud of started to not resonate and not sit right anymore. And so, and in, in my circle of friends, I had children later in life. So a lot of my friends are a lot younger than me, like late thirties, like almost 10 years younger. So I started talking about this and I got the like, hmm, got very quiet Uh, around the table. mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to chill out. I'm not going to like bring this too much into the forefront. But then, you know, then that unraveling got a bit louder and I started to question what I was doing, which was raising two incredible young boys without, I sort of quit costume and set design to be home with them, to take care of them. It was incredibly rewarding. And then one day, it's not that it wasn't rewarding, it's that there needed to be something else Mm -hmm. and that this was no longer what was meant to keep going. So through my journey and trying to figure out how to help myself, I had to learn a lot, go back to school. Um, I did some online courses, and I found some healers that really helped me not only identify with what I was going through, but really understand the physiology of the female hormonal system, which is quite intriguing and miraculous and mind-boggling at the same time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You create a life. Like, you just... It's a thing <laughs> that only women can do. So, and that's just one of the many things that you can yeah. do. So, okay. So you have the unraveling, and, and and you figure out there there needs to be something more. How does that now manifest itself into what you do now? So, in making myself feel whole and contained, and not a spiraling mess, so to speak. Um, I found my path, and then I started to bring women together, and then I started to talk to them, and then I started teaching to them, and then we started figuring it all out, and that brought the coaching into full circle. Then the physiological aspect, so that was kind of like the mental part of it, um, which is what I felt first. Some women don't have the, like, I'm done with life and want to move on to something else. Like, I have a great marriage. My husband's incredible. My kids are amazing. And yet I didn't really want to stay where I was doing what I was doing on a daily basis. So that brought me to understanding more about physiology. So I I became certified in a couple of different um, cutting-edge tests. So I started doing that. And then my fascination with what really helped me, which was more traditional methods of healing, 
whether it's Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine or just really kind of witchy plant medicine, I like to call it. Whatever um, works. Yeah, whatever works, right? So I'm from Kentucky, as we so duly noted in my first question. And my grandmother really, um, she leaned on plants and nature tremendously. She had a lot of children and not a lot of healthcare available. So she did what she could with what she had. And the beautiful thing was that's in me, that's innately in me. Um, I do believe that we all carry some generational code with us. Um, and I'm quite thankful for that code that she's passed on to me. And so through my working with women, so then I declared myself a coach, started working with women. And then these women started having really miraculous um, results. And I don't credit myself for those results. I credit the space that I can hold with women, mm -hmm. those results. And then we start, then some women, I start talking more about autoimmune disease because I was once diagnosed with um, Hashimoto's. I've since, um, I don't want to say cured myself because one never cures yourself of Hashimoto. I mean, you have it, you have it, right. but I, I have no symptoms from it and it doesn't, um, doesn't really enter into my life at all. And I can't always say that it was like that. Yeah, I know. I've had a, a number of friends who've had Hashimoto's, and it's debilitating and yeah. awful. And a lot of them hap happens to them either right before they have a baby or right yes. after they've had a baby, and it's it's so debilitating. And does have no more symptoms. What did you do? <laughs> it's. I mean, that's a long list, and it it was it really built itself over time. Um, food being the first one, really recognizing that for me Hashimoto's was a metabolic issue. And so really healing my metabolic system was primary. It was absolutely the foundation of everything. And then as I moved through the health journey, I recognized that I no longer needed to identify with this label of Hashimoto's. So I stopped identifying with that. And in my back to my clients, so these women kept um, coming to me because uh, you know now I'm on social media, I'm getting a bit louder, taking up a little bit more space. And so women are coming to me who also have a myriad of either autoimmune symptoms or autoimmune-like. So a lot of women can't find a diagnosis, which for some people, the diagnosis is really important. Like they hold on to that You need label. to know what this is. There yeah. is something about the fact that if you can't put your finger on it, whatever it is, no matter good, bad, however horrible it may be, you just want to know. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the not knowing that's the, the most difficult part of it. Absolutely. Um, and then I encourage women, though, to, to let go of the diagnosis, like unclench the fists around the word, around the label, and really work toward the root cause or the way in which your body is manifesting symptoms through whatever diagnosis. Because the diagnosis is just a word, right? I mean, it really is just a word if we come down to it. So in the, in the pursuit of trying to help women, especially around autoimmune, one of the greatest aspects to our hormonal uh, makeup, to our hormonal makeup, is that um, we live in a toxic environment. This is no surprise. And um, there's a lot we can't control, but what we can control is how we function in our vessel and what we put in it, what we put on it and who we surround ourselves with. So that's what led me to create A-Skin, the skincare line, because people were asking me for what I use. Well, tell me what you use. It's really hard to keep up with all the companies 
all of their ingredients, all, you know, who's being bought by whom. And this one woman, I, I remember her distinctly sat and she said, well, I just want what you have. Like, what do you use? Just give me what, just tell me what you use. And I said, well, I make my stuff. I had been making my stuff for years because one of the issues with my youngest son is that he has, um, he had severe eczema. So I just didn't feel right putting all of those of steroid course. topicals on him. Um, they did more harm than good for him. Now, for some, they do they do wonders and fantastic, you know, absolutely no judgment. But for my son, it wasn't working. And he was starting to feel badly about, like he would, you know, cover himself up or wear a coat when he didn't need a coat. So I started making things just to help him. And that's what brought me that and also my own journey of like wanting to rid myself of all chemicals that I possibly could. So that's how A-Skin really came about was me going back to my roots, figuring out herbs, botanicals, oils, and uh, butters that would nourish my skin and do the least amount of damage, not only to me, but to the environment. I mean, the environment in whole. We're really... We're doing a number on We're our blowing oceans. blowing a hole through the entire environment. It's why Australia's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, I agree. And so you create a skin, and then you're like, okay, I have this skincare line. How do I even get this out to the, the masses? I'm still asking that question. Can I tell you? Oh, my gosh. It's a journey. It is, it, every day is a journey, beginning, middle, and end. Um, I recently went to a convention around um, clean beauty and skincare. Because I thought to myself, maybe I'm going to take this to the next level. Maybe it's more than just I bottle four or five dozen. You know, the, the line comes out seasonally. It's mm-hmm. designed around the equinox and the solstice. So four times a year, the the formulations change and the products sort of shift. Um, because like nature, we shift with nature. Our skin changes with the season. Um, so <clears throat> in looking at skincare and my business and what I wanted to do. I had for five minutes the thought that I was going to grow this business. And I went to this convention. And we think that businesses and industry are male-driven. The skincare and the people that hold the money are, I mean, it's incredible what you have to do in order to grow your skincare line. So I think I decided, I think the coaching and the skincare supplementing the coaching was what I was going to do was the direction. Um, so now I, I sell off my website and, you know, my clients use it. And I have some friends, family, and a handful of women who I have no idea who they are, but they buy it. <laughs> and you're like, it's thank amazing. you. amazing. Yeah. Awesome. So along the way, what's the thing that you think that kept you going? Because you went through a lot of different challenges and, you know, sort of pivoting in business. Because oftentimes this is a thing for a lot of women, especially when they hit over 40 and go through menopause. They're like, oh, what do I do? And what was the th- what, what do you think was the driving thread that kind of made you keep it going? And be like, oh, I'm going to figure this stuff out. I'm going to keep building and see where I go. On those really hard days, <clears throat> the thing that keeps me going is the bigger, the bigger issue at hand, which is really women understanding and learning to align with time. And what I mean by, I mean, it's a phrase that I've used a lot in my, um, in the past year in my work with women and this stage of life, life and this transition is that when we learn to accept time, work with time and not try to turn back time, reverse time, or be somewhere that is not in the present, 
I have found that to be the most rewarding is that the biggest message that we as women who are 45, 50, 55, as the next generation of young women, our daughters, I mean, I don't have a daughter, but I have sons that will interact with people's daughters. And the biggest, um, the message that I, I think is so important is for young girls to recognize that their beauty is innate. It's an inside job and that injectables and the knife. And I mean, I get a woman who's 45 or 50 or 55 who wants to quite literally sort of maintain something like that. I get, I get completely. Mm -hmm. I don't get and I don't mean this from a judgment. I mean, I legit don't understand <laughs> a 26, 28, 29, 31-year-old woman who's injecting herself with um, chemicals that we don't know. We what don't know it what it does to the brain. We don't know. And women are affected by dementia and dementia-like diseases uh, threefold from men. So I just think we have to have a dialogue around this. I think we have to be aware, and I think we have to bring awareness out there because I think a lot of people are doing this and they're not even really thinking about it, the extent to which they're doing. Yeah, it's the it's the Kardashification of our our time, and that's part a big part of it. Like you see these images and they think they're perfect, and that's how, and you have that life, and they assume that's what you have to do in order to get that life, and it's just a hot hot mess. So before before we go. My last fun question is, so what does Michelle do for her self-care? So you've got two young sons. You've got essentially three, five business businesses. <laughs> um, what's the thing that you do when you can just sort of breathe, get away, and just have some Michelle time? Uh, I do a couple of different things, and, and they're all pretty important on the, in, the, in the hierarchy. Um, one is I go sit quietly on a rock on my rock in Central Park. Um, it's Michelle's rock. It is my rock. I awesome. have deemed it my rock. I actually think one of my sons tried to carve my initials in the rock. Um, it didn't work. I told him it wouldn't work. He did it anyway. Because he's a boy. Because he is a boy. <laughs> and, you know, mothers, what do we know? Um, but the thing I really do, and I know this sound, this potentially can sound a bit cheesy, is I literally love washing my face and caring for my skin every night. It is the one it is the one ritual I have that does not go undone in a day. If it does, then I'm I'm sick. <laughs> You're like, I, this is not going to work. So, and so how many different serums and things are you putting on your face before you go to bed? <laughs> before I go to bed, three. So I wash my face. I tone my face. I put a vitamin C, which is not mine, a vitamin C serum, and then I put my oil on, my facial oil. Oh, it. see, I, it's, for me, like, it's simple. I, it's such See, that's the thing. I mean, I have not figured out how to do a nighttime routine. I should, but uh, I suck at it. <laughs> I, I, I've just tried and it does not work. So it's like I wash my face and I go to sleep. And I take off my makeup. Um, at some point, I will catch up. Um, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, Michelle, it has been a delight to have you on the show. We're going to put all of the um, links to your incredible products and your coaching services on uh, on the uh, show notes. And uh, I'm so excited that you were able to share this with us because I think so many women, especially when they're over 40, feel sometimes feel like they're having, like the world's coming to an end. And I think to explain it in, in the way that you did um, will help a tremendous number of people. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Awesome. And that's our show. <laughs>